Father, we thank you for your, your word. And we come now with humble hearts. We pray that you would fill us with ears of submission, that we might hear and do what you have said. And Lord, that we might trust you, knowing that what your word says, it's, it's always led people down the right path. And Lord, we trust that it, you will lead us down the right path through your words today. So Father, we take this time, we give it back to you in an act of worship, and we ask that you would glorify yourself, accomplish your purpose in and through us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Shortly after he was hired as the executive director of the California Milk Processor Board, Jeff Manning had an epiphany. In it was 1993, some of the, uh, the sales of milk were sagging both in California and nationwide. In the 1980s, the milk industry had advocated that milk does a body good, promoting milk as a high source of protein and calcium, uh, promoting the benefits for the consumers. However, Manning realized they just didn't care. So instead, he hired an ad agency to revamp Milk's reputation, and they focused on the complete opposite. Rather than focusing on what Milk could do for you and the health benefits, they decided that television spots should highlight the consequences of going without Milk. This meant having trouble chewing a dry peanut butter sandwich or not having milk for your cookie. I know this is an American take on it, but... Uh, or not being able to enjoy a bowl of cereal. So during a brainstorming session, ad partner Jeff Goodby of Goodby, Silverstein & Partners jotted down the tagline, Got Milk? He added the question mark, and soon their tagline became as iconic as Nike's Just Do It. I'm a product of the 1990s. I remember those ads. All it said was, got milk? Question mark. Today, I, I don't want to ask you the question, got milk? But a, a similar question, I want to ask you a question, got purpose? Does your life have purpose? Are you living for a purpose? Purpose is defined as why you do something or why something exists. Do you know the reason that you exist? Your, your purpose for existence, it's, it's your why. Why? Do you know why you exist? What do you live for? When I was a teenager, there was a man that came to my church and he shared his story. He was a prominent baseball player, played in the Major League Baseball, um, played for the Boston Red Sox, a very uh, iconic club. He actually played in the World Series, and so in some ways he was, he was pretty famous. But he actually was featured in a prominent magazine under the, the title, I Was a World Series Hero on the Brink of Suicide. He tells a story. It was 1975. I stood in the batter's box awaiting the next pitch. But this was no ordinary pitch. This was no ordinary baseball game. It was game six of the World Series. My team, the Boston Red Sox, trailed the Cincinnati Reds by three runs 
in the eighth inning, and we needed to win this game to stay alive. As I walked to the plate, I was sweating bullets. With two men on base, I could even the score with a single swing. At the very least, I had to avoid striking out. All these thoughts were running through my head. The count was two and two, and the pitcher reading his pitch. It was a fastball right down the middle. I took a swing and watched the ball sail over the fence. As I rounded the bases, I was ecstatic. He hit a home run in the World Series. Every Major League Baseball player's dream. You might imagine that hitting a clutch home run in a crucial World Series contest would be the defining moment of my life. The truth, however, is that I was totally miserable. I was addicted to drugs. I'd even used some drugs before the game. I was dealing with deep insecurities. I thought my father didn't love me, and yet I craved his attention, his approval. Meanwhile, my marriage was shaky at best, and I was constantly at odds with my managers and coaches. As I remember Bernie Carbo sharing his story, I remember him saying he went home that night, he had hit a home run in the World Series, and cried. Because he had accomplished all he thought life was, was for. He had accomplished his purpose, his drive, the thing he had been living for. And he realized, what's next? His story goes on, after my World Series heroics, I spent the next few years bouncing around from team to team until I finally washed out in the big leagues. I was only 32. My career was over. Looking to rebound, I returned to my home state of Michigan, where I took cosmetology lessons and opened my own hair salon. I operated the salon for eight years, all the while continuing to use drugs. And then the unthinkable happened. A prominent baseball player outed me for having introduced him to cocaine. I still don't know how I escaped the prison sentence. When my mother saw my name on the news in connection with the story, she was devastated. I think it broke her heart, and in 1989, she committed suicide. On the surface, I blame my father, believing he should have stopped her, but in my heart, I blame myself. My relationship with my mother had grown ever more estranged since the news came out, and we never really talked again before her death. My father died three months later. Still grief-stricken, I moved to Florida to play senior professional baseball. My wife and I uh, bought a home in Alturas, Florida, hoping to settle down, but both of us continued using drugs. I finally woke up one day and realized I had to stop or else I would die. I told my wife we needed to slow down, but she refused and filed for a divorce as a result. I wish I could tell you that I finally followed through on my resolution to quit drugs, but I, it wasn't to be. Although I stayed away from cocaine, I continued using other drugs and abusing alcohol. A year later, I remarried, almost immediately realized I had made a mistake. The relationship was tumultuous, and it bottomed out in a second divorce. During this time, I met a former Major League uh, baseball player, Dalton Jones, at a swimming pool in Winter Haven, Florida. He told me about Jesus and explained how he could make a difference in a life as troubled as mine. I prayed that day, and I believe Jesus began to work within my heart. Even so, I persisted in using drugs and came to the point of losing all hope. Sitting in my home, I was ready to take my own life. I felt I'd tried everything, 
I felt worthless. Then the phone rang. It was Bill Lee, a teammate of mine. Anyway, he connected me to a man named uh, Ferguson Jenkins. Ferguson Jenkins had just lost his daughter. He'd been through a lot. He, could, he managed to tell that there was something wrong, although I didn't share with him that I was on the brink of suicide. He connected me to an organization called Baseball Assistance Team, and that organization got him into rehab. Almost as soon as the doors closed behind me, he said, I wanted out. I insisted that I was ready to go home, but the doctors refused to give me my keys. After suffering a panic attack, I was sent to a hospital in Tampa where I ended up in a room next to a retired pastor. He asked me if I was an alcoholic and a drug addict. And for the first time, I wasn't afraid to say yes. He began to tell me about Jesus and how true healing could happen if I would trust him. As our conversations continued, I grew in my understanding of what it means to live for Christ every day and rely on him for forgiveness and strength. On my way back to Winter Haven, I received a call from a friend, Carl Schilling, a former minor league baseball player who was also a believer. He wanted to discuss the possibility of starting a ministry that used baseball as a platform. This gave rise to the Diamond Club Ministry, which is dedicated to bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to young people and their families through evangelistic baseball camps and speaking engagements. I've been actively involved in this organization ever since. As we think about the life of Bernie Carbo, we think about a life that went from not having purpose to having got purpose. Many people struggle today with purpose. Many people today struggle with feeling that their life matters, that they have value. In fact, this is especially true among younger generations. According to some studies out there, the findings show that young people are rather purposeless in life. They're more likely to work for a paycheck in a nine-to-five job and feel trapped and feel like they can't find a job that actually matters. They can't find a meaningful career path. They feel depressed or worried. You know, a big problem in our world is the fact that most people think that happiness is the purpose of life. According to one study done, 81% of the respondents said happiness is the main objective for life. However, according to similar studies, Life coaches disagree. 43% of respondents who said that happiness was the purpose of life were also classified as burnt out. Feeling a sense of listlessness, purposeless, dissatisfaction with life. Those life coaches recommended don't live for purpose. Purpose is circumstantial. It comes and goes with life. But rather live for a cause. Live for a reason, not happiness. Live for something that makes a difference in the lives of others. You know, we shouldn't be surprised that these statistics, these findings are coming out. Because this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. If you look at Matthew 16, verse 24, it says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. Verse 25 says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. What Jesus is saying here is, if you live life for happiness, for pleasure, for yourself, and and what he says there is, if you try to quote-unquote save your life, you're actually going to end up losing it. But when you decide, I'm going to lose my life in serving Christ and serving others, that is when you actually find true life. So many people in the world today are living for themselves. They're living for happiness, for self-satisfaction, and they're miserable. And if they would just listen to Jesus and realize that life is not about us, it's about God, and it's about serving others, they would find satisfaction. And I was just listening to Spotify recently, and one of the commercials, I think it was an Isuzu commercial, the D-Max commercial, and the the little jingle they had with it was, uh, do it your own way. You know, it's all around us in the world. It's telling us to live for yourself, do it your own way, but that way has been the tried, tested, proven way to lead you to dissatisfaction and a miserable life. So if you want a miserable life, live for yourself. But if you want a true life of satisfaction and joy, live for God, live for others. What's your purpose? So this morning I want to ask you a question. Where are you on the spectrum of purpose? If one is I am purposeless, I have no direction in life. I'm miserable. I feel empty inside. I don't know what in the world's going on. Okay, are you close to one or are you? Okay, so if one is purposeless, 10 is max purpose. I know what I'm doing in life. I know why I'm here. I have a direction. I have goals. Every day, I'm working to accomplish something toward my life purpose. I actually have a written purpose statement for my life. And the things I do, the way I schedule my my days, it all contributes to my purpose. Where are you on the spectrum? Or maybe you're toward the middle. Like, yeah, I've got a sense of purpose. I, I, I have some, but you know, some days I just kind of drift. I just, sometimes I don't know exactly what I'm doing. Other days is better than, where are you on that spectrum of purpose? Do you have purpose? Do you know your purpose? What are you living for? Some questions to ask you. If you have purpose, do you get out of bed on the first alarm? Do you have a life's purpose statement? Do you have a list of goals that you're trying to achieve? How about this? Do you know your strengths and weaknesses? Do you know how to become a better person? Do you know what you were made for, where you're going in life, or are you just drifting? Do you feel energized, or do you feel burnt out? In life, life's just a drag. Do you have purpose? This morning we want to talk about five questions, the big five questions of life. People have struggled with these questions ever since humanity existed. And they will help us to identify, to hone down what our purpose is in life. So we can have a clear sense of direction and purpose. The first question, the first big 
question of life is where did we come from? This is the question of origins. And it answers the question, do we even have a purpose? Now, basically, however you boil it down, it comes to two choices. Either we came from chance, you know, evolution, we're just an accident, or God created us. Those are really the two options. And if we came from chance, then guess what that means? No purpose. We're just an accident. So if chance is the answer, if evolution is the answer, we have no purpose. Life has really no ultimate value. That's how come you can abort babies. Because they're no different than, than animals. That's how come you can, as Hitler, eliminate six million Jews. Because they're a lower form of life. That's, that's the, the logical outcome of evolution. No purpose. But if God created us, as the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, created us in His image, in His likeness. Verse uh, 7 of Genesis chapter 2 says, We have a soul. We're a living soul. We're going to live forever. We have an immaterial aspect that's going to live forever. We have immense value. You can't put a, a, a measure of value on the soul. Jesus said if a man loses his own soul, or he gains the whole world but loses his own soul, what, what good is it? There's no value on your soul. And so, either chance or creation. No purpose or purpose. Those are really the two options. Personally, I don't have enough faith to believe in random chance. That we just, everything, poof out of existence, out of nothing. Uh, there's a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Uh, if you want to check that out, I, w- I would definitely encourage you to do that. It takes way more faith to believe in atheism and evolution than to believe that God created everything. One author has said, to believe that unaided dead matter produced life, that living matter produced mind, that mind produced consciousness, and that chaos of chance produced the cosmos of order, as we see it in nature, seems not to call for faith, but for credulity. It takes way more faith to be an atheist than to be a theist. We know this is what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the design we see in nature is evidence of his creation. Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, I believe it was the, the James Webb telescope has just revealed incredible photos from outer space. And scientists going in and, and doing the math, looking at those photos, they think this is not reconcilable with the theory of evolution. The heavens declare the glory of God. So what is the, the logical conclusion then? If we are created by God... And, and God has created us. What does this have to do with purpose? Revelation chapter 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. This verse is saying, God created you. Think about that for a second. God loves you. He wants you. 
Uh, just recently, I'm going through a book by A.W. Tozer called The Knowledge of the Holy. It's a book about God. And he's talking about the fact that God is self-sufficient. God is in himself totally, absolutely complete. He doesn't need anything to, to complete him. He doesn't lack anything outside of himself. Think about this. God did not have to create us. It wasn't like God is saying in heaven, Oh, I'm lonely. I need people to, to fellowship with. No, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they have perfect union, perfect fellowship. God did not need to create you. But He did. That speaks to the love that God has for you. He wanted to give you a chance to know Him and to experience Him in His infinite character. Wow. And God gave you a purpose. God created you on purpose for a purpose. And in this verse, our purpose is to please God. To know God and to please Him. So take comfort. I want to encourage every one of you in here, you are not an accident. You're not just an accident of of random chance. You are the intentional creation of a purposeful God who created you on purpose for a purpose. And what is our purpose? Our purpose is to know and to please God. A famous theologian once said, God, you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Why is it that human beings wrestle, we struggle searching for purpose in life? We ask questions. We dig for deeper meaning in life. If we were the product of random chance, we wouldn't even know the difference. We would be a dumb animal, like a a giraffe or an elephant, not understanding those deeper things of life. But we have this drive inside of us. Where does that drive come from? For purpose, for meaning, for for longing, for satisfaction. It comes from God. And there's no other viable solution to answer that question other than God. So, the first of the, the big questions of life, where do we come from? And it answers the question, do we even have purpose? Yes. In God, we have purpose. God created us on purpose, for purpose. And the question is, are we finding our purpose in Him? Let's move then to question number two. Question number two, why am I here? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Who am I? Question number two, who am I? I'm getting ahead of myself. This is the question of identity. Who or what am I? And this is the question that our culture is drastically struggling with. People out in the world changing their identities just in crazy, unimaginable ways. Struggling to know who they are. And the thing is, when you get rid of the basis of Scripture... And you say, oh, we're just chance, evolution. You can be whatever you want to be because there is no purpose. There is no rhyme or reason to the universe. There is no order. 
But if there is a God that has created us and made us a certain way and given us a certain identity, then we need to, we need to find out what that identity is and embrace it because that will be the best um, for us in life. As we attempt to discover our purpose, we understand that our purpose is in God, from question number one, but we also need to look at how he designed us, how he made us, because that will teach us more about our purpose. So, for instance, you look at a, a tractor. Right, you can tell that the tractor is made for plowing in fields. Huge tires so it doesn't get bogged down in the soil, pulling those, those plows. It's got, uh, its engine is designed we could talk to Branko or, or Clint Mitchell, the, our engineers, that it was designed to pull heavy loads. You look at a race car, though, you can tell that the race car is meant to zip down tracks, go down the, the, the freeway at lightning speed, right? It's not meant for pulling heavy things. And you can look at it by the way it's designed. The same thing for us. If we look at ourselves, how we are designed, it will tell us, uh, more about who we are. So go over to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible. And God has revealed to us how he created everything in the universe. And in verse 26, we talk, he talks about the creation of mankind. And it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So, over all the, the animal kingdom. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created him, male and female created he them. There's several things that we can pull out of this passage about our design but first we want to notice that God created us in His image. Unlike the animal kingdom, God has given us similarities to Himself. If you go over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We have a soul. We have an immaterial aspect to our being. What is this comprised? Well, it comprises emotion, intellect, and will. We have the ability to, to laugh. We, we feel sad at times. We, we have the ability to form opinions, to think, and to make choices. We have the ability to exercise our free will. And all those things, that, that's what makes a person. You know, an animal doesn't have the same capacity. It doesn't understand morality. It doesn't understand the, the deep questions of, of life because it doesn't have the same level of design. God hasn't given it a soul. And we have the ability to make relationships. We are, we are persons. Just like God is a person, we are persons. And so when we think about it from this aspect, one of our main purposes in life is relationships relationships. So, I need some help here. Let me see. Brother Branko, would you mind, would you mind helping me out here? So, we're going to pretend 
Brother Branko, this is a hypothetical scenario, but you can come up here. We're going to pretend that Brother Branko has been offered this incredible deal. No, you can come, you can come up here. This is, too, this is an amazing deal. All right? okay. So we're going to pretend somebody has approached Brother Branko. They said, Brother Branko, you can have, okay, the wealth of Elon Musk. It's yours. Yes. That Tesla out there, you got to have 100. Yes. Um, hey, his mansion, his, his properties, his, you know, whatever he's got, you can fly to space whenever you want. Next trip to Mars, it's all yours if you want it. All right? Here's the, th- here's the catch. You have to live on a deserted island apart from everyone. No relationships in your life. No fellowship with anybody. Are you going to take it? I don't think so. What? <laughs> unlimited wealth? Unlimited potential? You're not going to take it? I doubt it. No, he's not going to do it. Thank you, Brother Branko. Thank you. How many of you would take that offer? I don't think there's very many people that would take that offer. And the ones that do, after a month, two months, three months, they would find themselves pretty miserable. Because we as people were created for fellowship. And even the most introverted, most hermit-like personality, they really crave for relationships. You know, I think even hermits, they go off, the reason they, they recluse to themselves is probably because there's been some hurt in their life. Because they were hurt by a relationship. And they want that relationship so bad, but they don't want to feel the hurt, so they just isolate themselves. But it's just something intrinsic within the human soul that we want relationships. So think about it. One of our primary purposes as people is relationships. John chapter 17, verse 3 says, And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The Bible says that life, at its truest, at its most basic form, the, the way God created life, it's a, it's a relationship with God. That's really what life is. And if you don't know God, you don't really know life. You're, you're missing the whole point, because you're missing the relationship with the one who created everything. In his book, The Common Rule, Justin Early, and by the way, I'm not endorsing everything about this book, but he has some really good thoughts in this, in this book. He promotes the idea, uh, he has several different rules he lives by, but he promotes the idea in, in regards to relationships, chatting once a week with a friend for an hour. And he also makes it a practice to have family, a family meal uh, every evening in which he intentionally guides the conversation towards specific productive topics. He will go so far, and he's a lawyer, and he has, young, he has young kids when he was writing this, so I'm sure he's a very busy man. He would leave work, go home for dinner, and return to work after the kids were asleep if need be, but he would not miss the evening meal. So this is a, a busy man, a man, but he prioritized in his life relationships. And the reason he did this was because he wanted to live the way God designed us and to live in a way 
to do what God has called us as Christians to do, and that's to love other people. To love God and to love other people. So let's think about it. In our life, in our busy modern life, very hectic, everything vying for our time and attention, do we prioritize relationships with other people? And do we prioritize the spiritual aspects of life? See, we are a physical body, but we also have a spiritual soul, an immaterial aspect. And guess what? The physical is going to get corrupted and it's going to die one day. But our spiritual will live forever. So what should we be most focused on? The things that are temporal or the things that are eternal? Like relationships? Our relationship with God? How many people have I heard in their lifetime, usually it's older men, and they look back and they say, you know what, I wish when I was younger I hadn't spent so much time at work. I wish I had spent more time with my family. How many people, uh, older men, would say that today? They failed to prioritize what was truly important in life. So if we are spiritual beings, if we're relational beings, we need to focus on these aspects of life. So what's more important, physical beauty or inward godliness? Um, Ask yourself, how much money, time do you spend on your outward appearance compared to your inward appearance, your character of soul? Do we prioritize physical pleasure, eating a good meal, enjoying uncomfortable rest, or do we put time into studying God's Word and to serving other people in the community? Do we focus on those spiritual aspects of love, joy, and peace? Where are our priorities? John chapter 4, verse 1 and following, Jesus is at the, the well in Samaria. And this poor woman comes to him. So Jesus is just out there sitting by the well. And he's by himself. It's, it's middle of the day. So normally people didn't come to get water at the well during this time. But this woman comes. And she comes alone. Why did she come alone? It's probably because she didn't get along with the other women, or the other women didn't get along with her. We find out in that passage that she had been married five or six times. So she's been divorced five or six times. And the man she was living with at the time of this story wasn't even her, wife, uh, her husband. This woman felt rejected, used. She felt like a worthless piece of rubbish. So she comes to the well in the middle of the day because she has no friends. That's what the picture from this, this narrative that we get. And Jesus interacts with her. He shows that she has value, she has immeasurable value to God. And he tells her how she can have she can have living water. She can have not not physical water, living water, spiritual water to to quench that thirst in her soul for fellowship. 
for a relationship. And Jesus is saying, I have a relationship for you with God. And he'll never reject you. Like all those men that have rejected you. Like all those women that have rejected you. And he holds that out to every one of us if we'll accept it. And then the disciples, they had gone off to buy food. I guess it was time to eat. And they came back and they said, here, Jesus, eat. Eat some food. He says, no, no, no. I have meat to eat that you know not of. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. He said, look, guys, it's not time to eat right now. I'm busy pursuing a lost soul. I'm busy about the spiritual work in life. It's not time to eat. How many of us have the discipline when we are given a spiritual task? We'll deny ourselves the food. We'll deny ourselves some sleep. We will put first the spiritual aspects of life rather than the physical. One of the dangers of living in Australia is that it is too comfortable. We have a very comfortable, rich, affluent society. And I praise God for inflation. I praise God for for high mortgage rates, and I praise God for a little bit of pressure. Because that's what we as people need. Because one thing that people can't deal with is comfort. Because when we're comfortable, we get complacent, and we we get self-centered. And we don't live life dependent on God. And we think, I got it, I'm good, life's good. I don't need to pray. I don't need to read my Bible. And so I'm thankful for tough times. Because tough times really cause you to focus on what life's really all about. So the second question, who am I? We are people. We are created in the image of God. Built for a relationship with Him. So that brings us to the next question. Why am I here? Why do we exist? The question of purpose. We've really built a a lot on this idea of relationship. So God created us on purpose, for a purpose. He created us as relational beings with the soul to have a spiritual relationship with Him and with others. And so why do we exist? And ultimately, the, the reason we exist is to to live within that scope of relationships with each other. And yes, he did put us on earth. So go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. He did give us a physical body. We have a physical earth here. And so we do have to interact with it. He says in verse 26, Let them, picking up in the middle, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, the cattle, over all creatures. He says that. In verse 28, he says, And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. Go over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And so God created us, spiritual beings, to have relationships. But he also created us and put us into a a physical environment. And he said, Take care of this earth for me. It's like he made us the stewards, the managers of planet earth. Later in the the passage uh, in in Genesis chapter 2, 
uh, we see that he brought the animals to Adam, and Adam was to, to name the animals. Adam was set up with Eve to, to manage planet Earth. So, by extension, though, go over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We don't have time to look in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a great read, though. It's uh, very insightful and really talks about the purpose of life. And the conclusion of the whole matter is given in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning in life? Fear God, reverence God, and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Reverence God, obey God. That's why we're here. That's why we're here on planet Earth. And again, this makes perfect sense because if we were created by God on purpose, for a purpose, and we were created as, as people, as, as with a soul, with the ability to have intellect, reason, relationships, and, and we are put on a physical planet to manage the planet, then we are God's managers. We relate to God. He's the CEO of the universe. We manage the, the, the physical universe, but then we also interact in those relationships, those spiritual relationships with each other. And ultimately, the goal of life, the reason for life, why we're here, is to serve God and to do what He says. Again, going back to Revelation 4.11, it says, For His pleasure we're created. Why are we here? To please God. And the awesome thing is, when we live in perfect harmony with, with these principles, life's great. God is loving, He's caring, He's righteous, He's true. Everything's awesome when we live in harmony with these principles. We live in, with one another in loving relationships. We work through difficulties in loving, kind ways. We have forgiveness. We have Life is awesome because we're living the way God has intended for us within those relationships. We care about those relationships, and so we don't want those relationships to be broken, to be bruised. We want them to be mended. We work together to love one another, to serve with each other, the creator God that has put us here on earth. But the problem is, going to the next question, where are we going? This is the next question of the series. This is the question of destiny. Where will I spend eternity? The problem is, something happened that affected that harmony. God had put us in a perfect environment, a perfect place to exercise those relationships with love. But Adam and Eve, the very first human beings, they sinned against God. You can see that back in Exodus chapter 3. Or, sorry, Genesis chapter 3. So if you just go back to Genesis chapter 3. The Bible tells us what happened to destroy the harmony, those beautiful relationships that the very first two humans had with God. God had said not to eat of the fruit of one of the trees in the garden. If you look back over in Genesis 2.17 briefly, it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So all, all God did was he gave them everything in the garden to eat from, except one tree. 
just one tree. You can, do, you can eat all the other ones. Just one tree, don't eat of it. And then Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, and took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were, they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So in that moment that they disobeyed God, they said, we're going to do things our way rather than God's way. And that's what sin is. Sin is saying, I'm going to do things my way rather than God's way. They had a drastic change within their being. They, they fell into sin. And ever since then, we all have to admit, we have sinned just like Adam and Eve. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And no matter how good you are, you fall short of the glory of God. God's glory is perfection. You, you're not good enough. And even one sin, just like this one sin brought sin into the world, it brought death into the world, it brought suffering into the world, it broke our relationship with God. All it takes is one sin to, to keep you from interacting with the holy and righteous God. And so the question is, where are you going? Have you ever thought about that? Where are you going to spend eternity when you die? Again, we as humans, we understand that death is not the way it's supposed to be. If we were just the product of random chance evolution, why would we understand that death is abnormal? Why would we have this feeling in our being that death is not right? No, if evolution is, is correct, then there's no rhyme or reason to the universe, so it's, it's just perfectly normal. But there's a sorrow associated with death that we as humans understand that's not the way it's supposed to be. So my question is, do you know where you're going when you die? Because each and every one of us have sinned and we are all going to die and the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we're going to die. We're going to, and because our spirit lives forever, we're going to spend eternity in a state of separation from God unless our relationship is mended. And I want to ask you this morning, have you ever mended your relationship with God? This is the most important thing to your life. Have you ever mended your relationship with God? God made a way for you to know Him, to be reconciled to Him, to be made right with Him. And that was through sending Jesus Christ to this earth. And that brings us to the last question, question number five. What can I do? We understand that we were created on purpose for a purpose. That purpose is to have a relationship with God, to serve Him, to, to have beautiful relationships with people around us, but we sinned, we broke God's law, we went against God, and we find ourselves in a state of brokenness. And so another question is, what can I do? What can I do to get out of this state of brokenness? And the answer to that question is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus 
was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. What does that mean? It means that God, who created this whole entire universe, entered into life on planet Earth as a human being. He walked among people. He touched people and healed them. He communicated love to them. He shared with them truth. He, he showed them God in the flesh. And he extended to every one the offer of a relationship with him. What's the basis of every relationship? Trust. You can't have a strong relationship unless there's trust. And that's the requisite, that's the prerequisite for entering into a relationship with God. You have to trust Him. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Jesus came, just like to that woman at the well, and He said, I'm willing to heal your souls from this state of sin, the state of corruption that you find yourself in, the broken relationships, the broken life that you have, I'm willing to heal you. But you have to trust me. And to prove his love for us, he allowed himself to be crucified on a cross to be sacrificed for our sins. God is a just God. He's a holy God. He's going to judge sin. He would be unholy and unrighteous not to judge sin. And so to satisfy God's just demands, he allowed himself to be brutally tortured and killed to pay for our sins. Some people struggle with that. They say, oh, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. This little thing about justice and... Sin is so wicked. It's so terrible. It's so nasty. Part of what Jesus did on the cross and taking the, the sin and the death and the torture was to show how wicked and evil and nasty sin is. And he took that upon himself. to satisfy God's justice. And if we will simply turn to Him, He can give us forgiveness. Because God's wrath has been taken out of the way. His justice has been satisfied. But He's not going to force you into His family. He's not going to force you into a relationship. See, that's part of what a relationship, it's a two-way street. And so Jesus is at the heart's door of your heart today. And he's just looking at you saying, would you come? Would you come and trust me? Don't trust the fact that you're a really good person. Don't trust the fact that you, you do charitable things. Don't trust the fact that you 
grew up in a, a church or would you trust me? Would you have a personal relationship with me? And that's what Jesus is saying to everyone in here today. If you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's very simple. First of all, admit to God that you are a sinner and that you're guilty of punishment. And then believe that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sin. He's taken your punishment. And he rose again the third day, proving he's God and that he has the ability to give you eternal life. And number three, just call out to him. ABC, admit, believe, call. Call out to God out of a heart of genuine sincerity and say, God, I need you. I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins so I can have a relationship with you. And God wants to give you that relationship, restore you to what he created you in the first place for. And even better, I think, you were created on purpose for a purpose. I'm pleading with you this morning to embrace that purpose in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together. And Father, I'm begging you in the name of Jesus Christ that if there's anyone in this room that does not know you personally, they've not reached out to you to begin a relationship solely based on what Jesus Christ has done for them, trusting solely in Him, Father, I'm pleading with you that they would come to that realization, the realization of their need, but the realization of the truth, and that they would trust you. God, you want to heal their life. You want to bring joy and restore relationships and provide purpose and meaning like never before. But Father, they have to trust you. And so, Lord, I'm laying this before you for their sake, out of love for them, that they would trust you this morning. And for those of us that have trusted you, help us, Lord, to embrace the purpose, this relationship that we've entered into as the very core, center aspect of our life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.